0: Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm your host Josh Downs. And today's episode is episode 44, and we're going to be taking a look at several books today. We're going to be taking a look at uh, the first book of Timothy, second book of Timothy, as well as the books of Titus and Philemon. And uh, we're going to be looking kind of under the theme of Be Thou an Example of the Believers. I apologize that this is coming out a little late as did the one last week, but just been playing catch-up after being sick, and it's taken a while to get everything back into place by next week i should be caught up and uh, the next episode will come out uh, early next week so thank you for your patience uh, with this um as i thought about all the different material that is in these chapters this week it just one of the things i actually recently have done is, is went fishing i love to fish if you've been listening you probably have picked up on that by now it's one of my favorite things to do with my family with my brothers And every year we go up to Yellowstone National Park for a little bit of a fishing trip, a little getaway, and it's something I look forward to every year. Some of the best lessons that I have learned when it comes to studying the scriptures, I have learned from fishing. I've come to look at the scriptures really as a river. And in order to catch fish in the, the scriptures or in the river, you often have to fish the entire river in order to find the best spots. Different parts of the scriptures certainly are packed full of principles and doctrines and are so much easier to find things in or to catch fish in than others. But in order to become an expert at the entire river, you need to fish the entire thing. But every once in a while, it's great when you come across that spot that is just loaded with tons of fish that's very easy to catch things at. Those are the kind of spots that every fisherman loves to find, and it's worth the effort. Fishing, just like with reading the Scriptures, takes a lot of patience because some days you catch some amazing things, other days maybe not so much. And But the blessing that comes from reading the Scriptures is beyond just catching principles. There is a power that I hope you'll be able to see a little bit more in depth today as we go through these verses because there is some great doctrines and truths that are tied to the power that is found in the Scriptures. And the reason I bring all of this up is because In these chapters, these books today, this really reminded me of one of those places on the river that is just loaded with fish, where you could basically just throw in any hook, any lure, and catch something. That's what these chapters really seem to me to be today. Um, You can start just about reading anywhere in any of these books, and in just a few verses, you will find some great statements of truth and, and principles that can help and bless your life. So if nothing else, young people, just take that marking pencil and just jump in. I think one of the reasons for the amount of powerful information and doctrine principles that are in these chapters and verses is because these letters are a little bit different than any of the others that you've studied up to this point, that we've studied up to this point. These are not addressed to entire groups of people, uh, congregations, but they are addressed to individuals. And so, Paul gets a little bit more personal, a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more intimate in the things that he shares with each of these individuals. The background of these chapters uh, in our curriculum is as follows. In the epistles Paul wrote to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, we get a glimpse into the heart of the servant of the Lord. Unlike Paul's other epistles to entire congregations, these were written to individuals, Paul's close friends and associates in God's work, and reading them is like listening in on a conversation. We see Paul encouraging Timothy and Titus, two leaders of congregations, in their church service. We see him entreating his friend Philemon to reconcile with a fellow saint and treat him like a brother in the gospel. Paul's words were not addressed to us directly, and he may never have expected that so many people would one day read them, Yet we find in these epistles counsel and encouragement for us, whatever our personal ministry in the service of Christ might be. Now today, because of the nature of these chapters and how loaded they are with principles and really how really short and powerful many of them are, um, I'm going to just share five. Five really quick ones. We're going to go through them a little bit faster today. We'll call it five key principles this week instead of the typical three and just go through them briefly and, and kind of touch on them, kind of give you a feel of what to be looking for as you go through and study on your own. The first principle I want to take a look at today is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. One of the things I love about these verses right off the bat is that Paul references a little bit of his past in trying to give hope to, to Timothy and really anybody that it's never too late to overcome sin. It's never too late to overcome our mistakes. It's Okay to fail because there is opportunity to learn from that and to change. Starting in verse 15, he points this out by saying, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. (laughs) He has no qualms about calling himself out for his own mistakes. Yes, this world is full of sinners, and I am chiefest among them. And the truth is, Paul was. He did a lot of terrible things without understanding fully why he was doing them. But yet, still, he was guilty of them. And I'm sure they have caused him a lot of pain as he contemplated the things that he did in the past. But yet, this is where he gives hope. And this is one of the reasons I love these verses. that The Lord seems to use extreme examples at times so that He can kind of cover all the bases and help us wherever we are. He says in verse 16 "Howbeit, for this cause i obtained mercy that in me first jesus christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting in other words he recognizes that quite possibly one of the reasons why he was chosen wasn't just necessarily because um, he's uh, an amazing individual and now an amazing missionary but Also, to give an amazing pattern to those that would come to believe on Christ afterwards, to help them recognize that anyone and everyone is possible and capable of change through the atonement of Christ. And, young people, I know you. I was once your age, and I've worked with you consistently over the years long enough to know that one of the main things that teenagers struggle with is accepting themselves loving themselves feeling good enough all of you are so hard on yourselves for all of the the mistakes that you make the things that you do wrong you worry about perfection so much that it keeps you from becoming better one of my favorite movies that i've watched with my daughters over the years is the kung fu panda series and one of the greatest lessons that i came across in watching these movies came in kung fu panda 3 Right after Poe, the the panda, had failed epically at a task that was given him, to which, like uh, would be normal of any of us, he felt very down, very discouraged, very hopeless about his ability to be able to accomplish what he was given to do. And when asked about his experience by his master, Poe, the panda, responded that he couldn't do it. He said, I can't do this. To which his master responded, oh, I know, I know you couldn't do it. And you kind of see Poe's mind just kind of blown a little bit. Like, wait, what? You knew I couldn't do it? You set me up to fail? And then his master, Master Shifu, drops this truth bomb on him. He says, Poe, if you only do the things that you can do, you'll never be anything more than you are right now. When I first heard that, and I'm going to repeat it here. If you only do those things you can do, you'll never be anything more than you are right now. When I first heard that, I had to write it down because it was such a powerful statement that really helped give permission to myself to fail, to, to remind myself that it's okay. In fact, that that's how we grow. That's how we develop. That's how we become better. If I only did everything that I could do, then I would stay exactly the same as I am right now. God sent us here fully knowing and expecting us to fail which is the whole reason for the atonement. But it's through that failure, it's through falling down, that we learn to rise up even higher. Elder Holland, in trying to give all of us a little hope, in his talk titled, The Labors of the Vineyard, said, I do not know who in this vast audience today may need to hear the message of forgiveness inherent in this parable, but however late you think that you are, however many chances you think you've missed, however many mistakes you feel that you've made or talents you think you don't have, or however far from home and family and God you feel you've traveled. I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible, he says, for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. I wanted to make sure to share that with you guys, because again, I know how hard you are on yourselves, and I want you to see even Paul is pointing out, One of the reasons that I have been an example is to give everyone hope that if I can change, that everyone can change, that if the atonement can reach down and pull me from my mistakes and the terrible things that I've done, then the atonement can pull anyone out from whatever they've done as well, which means no matter what you've done, he certainly has the power to save you Now, a couple key questions to consider about this principle. Number one is how has failure affected you? How has it affected your life? How does it affect the, the way that you feel about yourself? Another question to consider, do you see failure as a negative thing or a positive thing? And how can you come to see failure more as a positive thing, as an opportunity for growth and for change, not something that is holding you back? How have you grown through failure? Can you think of examples in your life? Another question to consider, why should you always have hope even when you make mistakes and commit sin? How is Paul's example of change able to give you hope that you can change? And when we give up on ourselves, how does that affect our faith in Christ? How is that reflective of our faith in Christ? How is a belief that we can make it, that we can repent and that we can change, despite our failures and shortcomings, actually an act of faith? And lastly, what will you do today to be more accepting of yourself and hopeful about your future and your ability and opportunity to be forgiven and to change and to be accepted and loved of God? Now, the second principle I want to take a look at today is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12-16. through 16, And this one is perfect for you young people. Every once in a while, there are a group of verses or a verse that is directed to you specifically. And this is one of the big ones, one of the key ones. Timothy apparently was very young, but yet he was given great responsibility and an opportunity to lead in the church. And so Paul is counseling him against probably some of the pushback that he's gotten, which seems to be because he's been so young. Paul tells him in these verses, and I want to make sure you mark these. Starting in verse 12, he said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That verse right there needs to be one that You reference often, that you maybe memorize, that you put somewhere that you can see it and be reminded of it. Even though you're young, you have incredible power and an opportunity and ability to make an impact in this world for good. The story of the 2000 Stripling Warriors, if nothing else, should be one of those that just emphasizes that and really helps you to see that. Mormon, as a very young person in the Book of Mormon... Had incredible opportunities and responsibility to lead out for good. And he was only 14, 15, 16 at the time of some of those opportunities. Never allow anyone or yourself to discredit your opportunity and ability to make a difference in this world because you're young. He gives some great counsel about how to be an example of the believers in word, which means the things that you say, the conversations that you have. And there's no question in the world today that young people, as you walk down the halls of your school, you'll recognize pretty quick how many are not being an example of the believers in word. Stand out. Be different. Choose better words. Choose better conversations. Conversations that uplift and are inviting of the Spirit, not offensive to it. In conversation, in charity, being kind and loving of everyone, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. President Thomas S. Monson gave some excellent counsel on how we can be an example of the believers when he said, make every decision that you contemplate, pass this test. What does it do to me? What does it do for me? And let your code of conduct emphasize not what will others think, but rather, what will I think of myself? be influenced by that still small voice remember that one with authority placed his hands on your head at the time of your confirmation and said receive the holy ghost open your hearts even your very souls to the sound of that special voice which testifies of truth he also taught that when firmly planted your testimony will influence all that you do throughout your life it will help to determine how you spend your time and with whom you choose to associate It will affect the way you treat your family, how you interact with others. It will bring love, peace, and joy into your life. If you feel any of those things are missing, well, then it begins by being an example of the believers and following for yourself the counsel that Paul gave to Timothy. That even though he was young, if he followed those simple directions on how to be an example in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit and faith and purity, It would have an incredible impact not only in his own life but in all those were that were around him you have such an opportunity in those schools that you're in among your group of friends and peers to stand out to be different and to help them to see that there is a better way than the way that the world is telling them all to go there's a great story that i came across from president enald tanner that kind of emphasizes the powerful example that young people especially those in the church, can have in the world, not only among peers and other members of the church, but especially on those that are outside of the church, that are always watching whether you recognize it or not. In this story, President Tanner says that the example that we set before the world will determine in large measure whether we gain friends or enemies. It is most important that each of us live according to the standards of the church, adhering to the precepts of the gospel and keeping the commandments of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which have been so well defined for us. It's always impressive to read the stirring stories of what can be accomplished through the power of good of a good example. He said, I recently read a story which I would like to repeat. A non-member relates that about 10 years ago, he was an assistant manager of a discount store where they hired high school students to work the night shift. He stated that, I don't remember how I hired the first Mormon girl who was about 16 or 17, and I don't even remember her name, but I'll never forget her example. She was unusually honest, dependable, and clean-cut, yet those words can't fully describe her the way I'd like. Compared to the other kids, she really stood out. Soon, he hired one of her friends and found that she too was an exemplary employee. Both were friendly and helpful in their attitudes towards other employees and the customers. Pretty soon, I tried to hire any more of their Mormon friends that I could find. Individually and collectively, they were the best kids I had ever had work for me. He said, never was there a single occasion when any of them let me down or proved to be untrustworthy. They were the finest employees and fellow workers that anyone could want. One night he wanted a pizza for dinner, but was unable to leave the store. So one of the Mormon girls went to get it for him. When she returned, he found that she'd been in a a minor accident. He offered to pay for the damages to her car because she was on his errand, but she refused, saying it was her responsibility. She he said, "I didn't think many young people that age would have that kind of character," and I've never forgotten it. This man recently met some LDS missionaries through his son has had some of the discussion, and has attended some meetings. I have found that the things I admired in those girls 10 years ago hold true among the Mormon adults I have met as well, he said. I like their emphasis on the family, and they seem to me like the happiest group of people I've ever met. (laughs) How wonderful, he said, if all of us could make that kind of impression on those with whom we come in contact. Now, just a, a short, simple story, but I hope you can see the impact that these young people had on this individual and could potentially have on the rest of his family or, or so many others. It it just an example has almost a ripple effect. When you act a certain way, when you talk a certain way, and when you behave a certain way, it just ripples throughout all those that are around it. They see it, they acknowledge it, they recognize it, they mimic it in many ways, and that really is the power that an example has. On all those around them. Now a couple key questions for you to consider about this principle. First is, I think it's worth considering, how have you been influenced for good by another's example in your own life? Can you identify a way that someone's example has had a positive impact on you for good? Secondly, how have you been influenced for bad by another's example? I think it's important to see that as well. Although all of us have had good examples that have influenced us, I'm sure we've had bad examples that have also influenced us and pulled us down instead of helping propel us up. Um, why do you understand it to be so important for us as members of Christ church to be an example to those around us? What opportunities have you had to be an example for good this year in school? In what other ways can you be an example to those around you? What comes to your mind when you think about being an example and how can you do it? How can you be that example around your family, your friends, your classmates and others? And lastly is just simply, will you commit to being a better example each day and to be aware of the things that you say, the things that you do, the way that you act and the faith that you show? Now, principle three is is a quick one, but I can't leave this one alone. I want to make sure that you get this one marked. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Paul points out to Timothy, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now young people, please, please, please mark that verse because if there's one thing that you will struggle with in your life, it is fear. Almost everything that we struggle with has an element of fear with it which is why faith is so important. Faith is the antithesis to fear. And God has not given us the spirit of fear. I think it's important to recognize that He doesn't want us to be afraid. Fear does not come from Him. And so whenever we find ourselves feeling afraid, I think it's important to recognize that somehow, in some way, we have become disconnected from God. And it happens all the time. It's very normal for all of us. But it's in those moments where we feel fearful that it's more important than ever that we reconnect with Him, that we connect with Him better, more, whatever we need to, to be able to replace that fear with faith. My daughters and I have a favorite movie that uh, I remember seeing many years ago that quickly became one of our family favorites. And it's a movie called The Crude. Some of you might know this, but it's basically a a fictional story of a caveman family trying to survive in their ever-changing and threatening world. Kind of sounds like my life, your life, all of our lives. The, the father's sole purpose of this family was to keep his family safe. And the best way for him to do that in their world was to keep them basically in their cave as much and as often as possible, especially during the night. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good dad to me, a pretty typical dad. I thought many times, how can I keep my own daughters just basically at home or in the cave to keep them safe? I thought several times about making sure my daughters never left my house in order to keep them safe. And he was just doing what every good dad wants to do at times with his own kids and family. And the story begins, though, as their cave basically gets destroyed from the land that is beginning to change and experience uh, what's called the Great Divide. And so they start out on a journey to find uh, another cave initially, but also what is being referred to as tomorrow. While the movie has a lot of great lines and great scenes, there is one line in particular that has become a favorite phrase from the movie for me and my daughters. And it's a a phrase that was used by the father to teach his family how to stay safe. And he basically told them this. He said, never not be afraid. (laughs) In other words, it was his belief at the beginning of the show that fear is what would keep them alive. And so, He told them to always make sure that you stay afraid. But as was discovered in the course of their journey, it also kept them from living. At first, facing the unknown on their way to tomorrow was fearful. But as they pushed through it and went through the fear and facing the unknown, on their own little adventure they realized that fear didn't just keep them safe from danger but it kept them safe from new experiences new discoveries new memories new feelings new found strength and joys in a new life never not be afraid has become a funny kind of war cry for me and my daughters not because i want to keep them in fear but i know that whenever any of them experience any kind of fear It's a reminder for us of just how much can be missed by giving into fear as opposed to living without fear and choosing faith. In fact, the most frequent command in the Bible of all the commands that are given is do not be afraid. Although life can be scary, that doesn't mean that we need to fear it. God doesn't ask or try to persuade us to be afraid. He commands us to not be afraid. That is how certain He is that we need not be afraid. Well, there was another phrase that kind of culminated the adventures of this caveman family, this, the, the Crude family. In their journey to find tomorrow, all that they knew how to do was just simply follow the sun or to follow the light. That kind of gave them their direction, and that gave them purpose in their journey and hope in their destination. And towards the end of their journey, in a moment while facing their greatest danger, the father, in what I consider to be a rather touchy moment with his daughter, who was experiencing immense fear, whom he had tried to protect as best as he could all of her life by keeping her safe through fear, now, after all that they had been through and experienced together, said, in referencing their journey and life, and everything that was now ahead of them. That what's the point of all of this, everything that they'd been through? He said, the point of it all has been to follow the light. And then she hugged him and told him, Dad, but I'm afraid. And he looked her in the eyes and said, Never be afraid. Oh, I just loved that moment. And I know without any doubt that if Heavenly Father could pick us up and look us in the eye when we are feeling most fearful and most afraid of whatever it is that we're going through or whatever the unknown element is that we're facing in our lives. He would say to us calmly and with confidence and with love and with power, never be afraid. In a dark and cynical and angry and sometimes chaotic world, it's easy to get lost wondering what exactly is the point of all this? What's going to happen and have elements of fear begin to creep into our lives? Well, as Grug said, what's the point of all this? It's to follow the light, to follow the sun, to follow the son of God, to find a tomorrow that's even better than today. Because when we follow his light, his light helps us to see the path to follow. And it's a path that will lead us always, always out of darkness, out of chaos. And out of fear. As Christ said, I am the light of the world. Be not afraid. Only believe. President Uchtdorf once said, We can choose to believe. For in belief we discover the dawn of light. We will discover truth. We will find peace. Light always chases away darkness. It's been designed that way. Light chases away fear. Faith chases away fear. When facing our own fearful moments, personal moments of tragedy, of of injury, we can hear the Lord and Him speaking directly to us, as He said in the Scriptures, "...For I, the Lord, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not. I will help thee. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee in the right hand of my righteousness." Now, it doesn't mean that life will be easy and that we won't ever feel fear just helps us, hopefully, in those moments to recognize where fear is coming from and to push through it by choosing faith. A brother of mine has just recently lost his job. I've been there before. I know what that's like and I know what he's going through. I know what he's thinking and feeling. And there is immense fear, potentially, about, you know, what am I going to do now? What if I can't get a job? How am I going to be able to pay my bills or pay my house or provide for my family? I know all those thoughts are weighing on his mind, but when I had a conversation with him the other day, he was very calm. and He just reiterated to me, it's going to be okay, I know it's all going to work out. It doesn't mean he's not going to still struggle with some discouragement and doubt at times, but he is learning to push through that, as we all must, and choose faith over fear and to not be afraid. And why? Well, because, as Paul said, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, a couple of key questions for you to consider about this principle. Number one is, what have you been afraid of recently? Go to that place for a moment. Imagine your mind, what fears have you been experiencing recently? Second question is, what message can you take from these verses and from what I've shared with you today and from Paul's counsel to help with that fear? And why is it that with God, we should never be afraid? What examples of faith can you hold on to from your own life or from another's to help calm your heart and to choose faith over fear in those fearful moments? What can you do to calm someone else's heart and help remove their fear? Who in your life needs to be comforted today because of what they're going through and the fear that they have? What can you do, what will you do, to turn on the light in your life when things get dark? and better chase away the darkness and the fear. Now, principle number four comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And in many ways, these verses indicate many of the problems that will exist in the last days. I'm just going to go through and read these. I want you to mark all the ones that stand out to you, that maybe you see, that you recognize in the world today. First of all, starting in verse 1. This, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. I've seen that. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontentant, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, We see that one today, don't we? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now, some of those you may not know the meanings of. I just encourage you to go look them up. You will see every single one of these, if you look closely enough, in the world today. These are all happening. Yet, in this same chapter, Paul gives the answer to these problems. If any of us have ever gotten caught up, and we do get caught up on some of these things, I've been covetous at times, I've been overly proud or boastful or disobedient to parents or unthankful or unholy. Every one of these I at times have struggled with, I'm sure. But more importantly than recognizing the things that are wrong and the problems that there are, we need a solution. We need the answers. How do we overcome these things? How does the world overcome these things? Paul gives the answer in the same chapter just a few verses later in verses 14 through 17 when he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then he gives this counsel to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What is the answer to removing these things from the world what is the answer to removing these things from our lives to burning them out of us and to developing the opposite qualities instead the answer is the scriptures the answer is the word of god and i know that seems rather small but isn't that how god works and there are so many stories and examples where by small and simple things are great things brought to pass that all we need to do is look and live i have felt multiple times in my own life That when I have been reading consistently my scriptures in a meaningful way, that I have had additional power in my life to resist temptation, to overcome these kinds of characteristics that are inherent in my nature. But when I haven't, that is when I have been most susceptible to temptation. That is when I've been most susceptible to the weaknesses that are in my nature and my character. And I don't know all the reasons why. I just know that there is power in the Scriptures. President Benson said it this way, My dear brethren, this is an answer to the great challenge of our time. The Word of God, as found in the Scriptures, in the words of living prophets, and in personal revelation, has the power to fortify the saints and arm them with the Spirit, so that they can resist evil, hold fast to the good, and find joy in this life. He also said I am convinced that each of us at least some time in our lives must discover the scriptures for ourselves and not just discover them once, but rediscover them again and again. It's not just that the Book of Mormon teaches us truth, he says, though it indeed does that. It's not just that the Book of Mormon bears testimony of Christ, though it indeed does that too, but there is something more. There is a power in the book which will begin to flow into your lives the moment you begin a serious study of the book. You will find greater power to resist temptation. You will find the power to avoid deception. You will find the power to stay on the straight, narrow path. The scriptures are called the words of life, and nowhere is that more true than it is of the Book of Mormon. When you begin to hunger and thirst after those words, you will find life in greater and greater abundance. I have a deep and abiding appreciation for and love for President Benson because of many of his talks were geared towards encouraging us as members at the time to get into the scriptures, to study them and to read them and to make them a priority in our lives. And because of many of those talks and the truths that he taught, I have learned to do that. And I've come to see the difference between how my life is going and the way that I am living When the scriptures and the word of God is a part of it whether it's in the scriptures themselves or the words of living prophets and when they are not and there is a palpable difference in that chapter chapter three not only does Paul again give all of the problems that will exist in the last days but he gives the solution as well which is so important for every single one of us to recognize especially for you as young people growing up in really probably the most difficult time period in earth's existence, where there is more of these problems, more of these challenges, more of these temptations than ever before. It has become imperative that you read the scriptures on a consistent and regular basis. I would encourage you to set a goal for yourself to read them every single day. To not let a day pass without you reading a little bit in the scriptures and maybe a conference talk. You will notice a difference in your life. I promise you if you will do that on a regular and consistent basis. But be prepared for a fight. Because as soon as you make the decision to do that, Satan's going to know and he's going to come and attack you. As the prophet Joseph said, the nearer man approaches the Lord or tries to approach the Lord, a greater power will be manifest by the adversary to prevent the accomplishment of his purposes. So if you want to be better, You better get ready for a fight because it's coming, but it will be worth it and you'll have access to a power well beyond your own to see you through it. Now, a couple key questions related to this principle. First, how have you felt the power of the scriptures in your own life? How have they helped you to choose good, to be good, and to strengthen your faith? Do you have a favorite verse of scripture that you like to refer to? Do you have a favorite conference talk or a quote from conference? How can you make studying God's Word more of a priority in your life? What promises from prophets when it comes to studying God's Word would you like more of or to have fulfilled in your life? The power to resist temptation, more peace, more power to avoid deception, to stay on the straight and narrow, to make better choices, or just to simply hold better to that which is good? Or are there other promises that you love that are associated to studying the Scriptures? Why do you personally love God's Word? And how has His Word, the Scriptures, or words from living prophets, brought you closer to Christ? Now for the last principle, it's just a quick one. I I think that it's absolutely one that every single one of us should have marked that I want you to make sure to mark if you don't have it marked already. But it's one of my favorite statements I think from all of scripture because it's a statement that I hope to be able to be able to say one day as I approach the end of my life, I want to be able to say exactly what Paul says in chapter four verses 6 through eight. I think Paul has an idea that his journey, that his life is nearing its end, its conclusion and that there are going to be some things that are going to happen relatively soon that will, Probably cause things to come to an end for him, but yet, despite all that, he's not afraid, he is happy, he is confident, he is at peace, despite the turbulent situation that he's in, the the, the prisons that he he has been in in second Timothy chapter four verses six through eight, he says, "For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand." And despite that, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Isn't that just a marvelous and a powerful statement from Paul. Isn't that something that each and every one of you hope to be able to, to say one day? That I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. One of the times that, that was most relevant to me was at the conclusion of my mission. I knew as I entered into the mission field that I, I wanted to leave the mission field without any regrets. I wanted to do the best that I could do while I was there. And to really give it my all. And while I wasn't perfect in everything, of course, I felt like I had done that. And so when I was able to get on that plane, through tears in my eyes, I remember reading that verse. Because I wanted that to be my statement. I wanted those to be my words when I left my mission field. And the mission that I had come to love, the people that I had come to love and to serve. And to know that I could leave it in peace and knowing that I had done my best that I had fought the good fight, I had finished my course, I have kept the faith. Well, that was for my mission. And I hope that that could be said of each and every one of your missions as well. And I would invite you to make that your mantra at the beginning of your mission, to to make sure that you have the opportunity at the end of it to be able to say that because of everything that you have done in between. Well, now those words have become the words I most desire to speak at the end of my life. That after having served in the church, after having been around my friends, after having been a brother to my brothers and sisters and a son to my father and mother, after having been a father to my own children, after just having been a person that has been on this planet and has lived life, to be able, at the end of it all, to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. What a great statement, a great way to end this week's study. I hope that this has been helpful. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige, The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And he invites us all to come follow me. So as always, everybody, let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for teens and for parents of teens.